Hello. 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 Hi, Dr. Gatson. How are you? Hello. Great. How are you? Good. Uh, sorry we're late. But you're okay. I'm here with my trusty assistant. You sure? <laughs> Hi, Andre. How are you? <laughs> good to see you. Well, welcome to Utah and Salt Lake and all of that good stuff. Thank you. So um, I am currently in um, Circleville, Utah, which you probably don't know where that is, but it's a small town. In, uh... <laughs> Andre doesn't even know where it is. Where is it? What is it near? It's in Paiute County. I don't know. Bryce Canyon is about an hour away, 45 minutes away. When you mention the county, she, she knows now. Okay. So that's where it is. That's and uh, Tracy's up in Ogden. So, yeah. Nice to meet you, Dr. Gadsden. In my nice day job, to meet you as well. I have a, an opportunity to work at USBE. Uh, used to be both of us were in Salt Lake District. So, our heart is uh, there. And uh, we're thrilled to have you join, join our community here. Thank you. Yeah, very good. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, so this is just our a little podcast that we've been doing for about two years now, and we like to talk to educational leaders from across the country about the little things that make a difference, and we just thought that we needed to talk to the new superintendent in Salt Lake City School District. We're so excited. Well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, we, we wanted to just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've, I've worked in districts large, medium, and small. Um, I'm going to be going into my 28th year in education. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, wow. uh, but you know, 28 years in education. Uh, most of my career is in Palm Beach County, uh, Florida, uh, where I was born, Daytona Beach, uh, Florida. And so uh, just decided to, to see the nation. Uh, I, you know, I was a district director of secondary curriculum in Palm Beach County. And our chief academic officer started a, a private uh, school transformation company uh, when the Obama administration was awarding districts school improvement grants. And so we wrote uh, for our first grant and, and got it and uh, the rest is history. So I wanted to make a difference on a larger scale, like I had been doing, um, working to transform schools in school districts. And so um, our first project was in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and some very challenging schools, but went there and worked with teachers and leaders and was able to turn uh, some of those schools around and, and point them in the right direction to do what was right for children. Um, and so kind of got tired of ch chasing grants for a living. <laughs> You know, we all have bills to pay and mine didn't stop while I was doing that work and decided to go back to a school district that was hired in Austin Independent School District. Um, I led high schools there, very rewarding, loved Texas. And then that day came that Maria Karstoffen, superintendent in Austin, accepted the superintendency in Atlanta and said, hey, I need you to go with me. <laughs> Wasn't planning on moving and, you know, was was feeling good and, you know, didn't uh, turn her offer down. So went to Atlanta and ended up in Minnesota because the chief academic officer, uh, officer there, Carlton Jenkins, took a job in Minnesota as superintendent. And after a year, he reached out to me and said, hey, I need your help. 
And so I joined him in Minnesota. And uh, after seeing a posting for Salt Lake City School District uh, three times, and the first time just saying, oh, that's great, they're looking for someone. And the second time doing a little research and finding out that Salt Lake City was an urban school district, who knew there were even urban school districts in Utah? So that sparked my interest. And um, I was like, that is kind of strange. I did not know there were urban school districts there. And the third time I saw the posting, uh, I decided to throw my hat in the ring and said, you know, the worst they can tell me is, no, we don't want you. But fortunately, they said, yes, we do want you. And I'm here. That's great. I'm so thrilled to hear about all the different experiences. And if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into a question before you start talking about your upcoming adventures. In thinking across all those different high-level positions that you've had to support districts, and and as an SEA staff member, I am always looking at ways to support the LEA leaders. We are trying to uh, focus on our on our um, podcast here about little things, right? You don't have to have sweeping reforms necessarily, but what are the little things do you think were maybe consistent across all of those LEA level leadership positions you held that you think mattered? Uh, What matters most to me is that children are children wherever you go. I've found that children are children and they rely on us to provide a rich, engaging learning experience for them. Our state, uh, excuse me, our, our state has standards and they're similar to standards across the nation where whatever we are doing, what we're teaching, we have to teach our students about multiple perspectives. That matters to me. That makes a difference to me that our state says that our students need to know and be able to do from differing perspectives. Um, Something that I wish uh, we had more of is the opportunity to commingle funds to do what's best for students. But we know that we still have a lot of categorical funds and uh, it limits what we could actually do. And as school leaders, we know sometimes if I could just use a little bit of this over here and pull this there, I have a, a larger allocation that I can do this with. And so I'm still hoping for that day where commingling Uh, becomes a standard and that um, school-based and district-based leaders are trusted to make those decisions for what is best for children uh, in allocating those funds. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So what are your priorities as the new superintendent of Salt Lake City School District? I mean, are you going to start with the little things or are you just going to go big? Um, I, I, I think a little of, of both. <laughs> what I would first like to, to say is um, I have, uh, am sending out um, correspondence to families that have left us over the last three years, inviting them back to our district 
asking them to take a second look at why we're the right district for their children and their family and sharing some of the mitigation strategies and the fact that we treat every child, you know, like um, they're our own. And we truly believe in that. We value the perspectives and voices of our families and we want those families back. And so that's one thing that I wanted to, to get out there. Um, and also the safety measures uh, that we're taking as a result of the pandemic. As you know, we're not out of the water. And so many of the mitigation strategies, the hand sanitizers, making sure we have fresh air in our buildings, social distancing where we can, strongly recommending masks, um, you know, cleaning the high touch areas frequently uh, during the day. We're taking those steps and more to make sure that our students are provided with a safe environment and our staff is provided a safe work uh, environment. And so some of the work that I am uh, uh, undertaking is continuing those mental health support efforts that are in our district and expanding uh, them because we know the pandemic has had an impact on both our staff yeah. uh, and our students and being able to provide those supports so that everyone is mentally uh, healthy. Continuing the partnership with our community to provide for basic needs uh, for our students, clothing, uh, being able to provide uh, showers and uh, washing machines and dryers so that uh, we can have clothing uh, washed and being able to provide food uh, for families that are in need. Um, we're taking on initiatives where we're trying to work with our, our uh, local leaders to uh, really push for affordable housing in our families because mm. a part of our uh, decreasing or, and declining enrollment is uh, partly due to the lack of affordable housing. And so yeah. we're pushing valuable people out of the city and we want to stop that trend. Um, but also focusing on what's loose and tight in our district, providing our schools with the autonomy that I so value but also systematizing those things that we have to hold tight, that we know are best practices and should be practices across our district. Respecting the fact that in our district, we value shared governance and really understanding what that shared governance means and embracing it as a strength, but really understanding what needs to come from the district and be a standard uh, across our district. But doing a lot of listening and learning uh, listening to hopes and dreams, uh, hearing people tell us where we're strong and where we can improve, uh, and uh, having all of that inform uh, my, my decision-making, just being on the ground and really uh, letting our stakeholders kind of drive where we need to go to do what is best for children. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that you're really taking the mantle of a community leader, not just a district leader, but a community leader and doing all yes. this that will make a difference in the community beyond just- Most definitely. Yeah, that's really great. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you.
And I appreciate that, you know, the reference to the mental health, I, I myself agree that um, it's difficult at times for our students to really be present for the learning that needs to take place when there might be other trauma, there might be other, uh, you know, adverse childhood, you know, effects from, from their, their experiences and their world. Um, I'm curious, uh, just in that process of you sort of moving into your position, we recognize that there's there's a level of, of support that educators need as well, right? And, um, you know, there's a compassion fatigue, I think, sometimes in our urban settings. And I think that there are times when our teachers are kind of caught in their crossfire or sort of squeezed from both ends. Yes. Tell me more about what you feel, either in your previous experiences or in your upcoming experience. What do you think are little things that we can do to even support our staff, our teachers, our educators? So one of the things uh, I, I talk about is learned helplessness. Sometimes we have that savior complex and we think everything is on our shoulders and we don't recognize the fact that we have a whole team to help us. You know, we stay up at night and we think, oh my God, what is the next thing I have to do? And we don't always think in we. And so if I could send any message uh, to the employees of Salt Lake City School District, is to remember that you're a part of a team. Um, also, my message is that I truly believe in a village, that it takes a village, and making sure everyone understands that Salt Lake City is that village, and that we treat every child as if that child is our own. And I think that's the formula to success in a district. If you go out and advocate for your child to have it, you should advocate for every child to have it, you know, because every child is worth it. So understanding that team and that you're a part of this village, understanding that you can ask for help and support and not worry about being stigmatized, that stigma that goes with needing mental health support. It does not say that you're not an effective teacher, you're not a good teacher, if you just need a helping hand. And that sometimes you just need a mental health day, a mental health break. Helping them to understand that we have our employee assistance program where free uh, counseling and, and therapeutic services are available uh, to them. That um, I've been speaking with our HR department about what type of social activities uh, can we put on to just provide an outlet for our staff? Uh, really encouraging self-care um, is important and helping teachers to not fall into that learned helplessness uh, where uh, they feel I'm not good enough, I'm not successful because of this. When they focus on their sphere of influence, and what they have control over and not worry about what well, this parent just did that and if the community did this and focus on what you can do when children are in front of you each and every day, they will realize how successful they really are and the difference they're making in the lives of students. Wow. Love it. 
You know, one of the things we hear about often when we're talking about building levels, leaders, you know, and, and the work that they're doing and the little things that matter. Often we hear about just greeting people at the door, right? Yes. Greeting kids, greeting parents in the parking lot, that that openness. And, and to some level, rumor has it, Dr. Gadsden, that you've been doing your own version of that <laughs> by uh, out in the, being out and about in the community and schools. I'm curious, how have you incorporated that into your work, if at all? Because I'm hearing you are, but I don't know how you feel that work is going, if you believe in that. You know, I, I believe, uh, I do believe in the small things, um, as you're saying, greeting someone, smiling. I'm from the South and we believe in Southern hospitality. And I believe that a smile warms the heart and the soul. And so being able to get out and shake those hands and being able to smile and tell people that while I was not here last year, that they did an excellent job. And I appreciate that because they actually made my job easier this year by doing that heavy work last year. Um, just being visible in schools. Um, I love being around people. I love being around students. It helps me uh, and keeps me grounded and focused on the actual faces that my decisions impact. It makes me think and it helps me to reflect and understand that there are real people and real implications behind uh, my decisions. And so you're always gonna see me out and about in some school or on a district property or uh, meeting with you know, our, our mayor or someone because that's what I need to do to make sure that we keep the focus on our children. Uh, and it just warms my heart being around people. I, I have that need. That's my, that's a part of my self-care. I know that I, 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 I am attracted to people. Uh, and that's one of the ways that I take care of myself uh, by seeing how the decisions that I make impact people on the ground, hearing you know, from them the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and getting that smile. That's excellent. I can feel that positive energy through the screen. <laughs> That's great. I'm feeling it. <laughs> so much has been made about the fact that you're the first Black superintendent in Utah. And I just am wondering about your reaction to that, how you feel about that. Is that, you feel like that's <laughs> a good <laughs> way to describe you or does that feel like uh, unnecessary? So I hope that we get to a day where there are no more firsts. Um, it does warm my heart that the board put trust in me and saw beyond my color and saw that I would make a great superintendent. Uh, and so that's what I focus on, that I am a good superintendent for Salt Lake City School District. Uh, I am, um, among other things that I taught, I taught social studies and history. And it feels good that I made history. Um, you know, I, I can't deny that, but I do hope that there becomes a day when uh, the first is, is no more and that we just see people for people and the qualifications that they bring and the work that they're going to do. I'd like to think that I was chosen because the board saw something in me that was needed in Salt Lake City at the time. And they weren't concerned about whether they were going to be making history, appointing me or, you know, not only history in the district, but history in the state. 
Uh, I'd like to think that they were just doing what they were elected to do and hire a superintendent that was going to lead uh, Salt Lake City School District. And that's what I aspire to do each day. Nice. I was wondering about psychological safety overall, and this ties in a little bit about, you know, supporting our educators in the building, but this is something that continues to show up as a pattern in the work that we've been doing with the little things. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what do you believe are things for yourself, but even for your leaders who work underneath you in creating a psychologically safe or a place where people can thrive, be honest with each other, even in tough discussions, maybe? Yes. Uh, what do you think? How, how will you go about that? I thrive on that. If you ask anyone where I led, and sometimes I had to, to uh, help people to see that I meant what I, I said, I don't like yes men and yes women. I like people who know that I am about what is right for our district, what is right for our students and our families. And if I suggest something um, and they have experience, they have knowledge, and they have uh, data and information to support a counter perspective, I want to hear that. Uh, that's the environment that I want here in Salt Lake City, because that's going to make us better, where people feel that they can be honest, that they can share their perspective without risk or retaliation, that people feel valued in the organization, that people also see their suggestions at work and, and in action. I think a part of innovation is just providing people with the space to take informed risks and do things differently, think outside of the box. That's what I want. I want those informed risks that are going to benefit us as an organization and not just those people who are going to say yes because they feel that's what you want to hear or that's what's going to make you feel good. If you have evidence, if you have information that is going to make our district stronger and help our district to do what we need to do for children, better. We, we want to hear that. And we embrace that. And so I plan to make sure that I model that. Uh, I plan to make sure that I facilitate that. Uh, I plan to make sure that I encourage that. That's amazing. And I think that you, not only are you going to draw students back to the district, but you're going to draw people who want to work with you. I mean, that's a great culture that you're trying to establish. So thank you. All right. That's what I hope. <laughs> I feel it. Um, so what, uh, what direction should schools and districts go post COVID? I mean, I say post COVID, but now we're starting to see, you know, the numbers go back up. So maybe not so post COVID, but what, what are, the, what are the, your thoughts about moving forward from here? And so what I will say is, you know, uh, COVID taught us as teachers and leaders that we had capacity we didn't know. We had to ramp up very quickly to provide remote learning opportunities for students. Who knew we were gonna have to do that? Right. You know, who knew that we were gonna have to do that? But it taught us we had the capacity and the ability to innovate and do it quickly. Uh, we ramped up that service and we provided that service. 
Um, and so post-COVID, uh, we have to look back at what we did and constantly ask, how can we do that better? Because we never know when we're going to have to do that again. It has also uh, blossomed uh, and, and helped to spring forward these virtual schools and virtual opportunities for families who don't yet feel safe coming back in person, there's still a learning modality for their children. Um, and so I'm glad to be able to offer that choice for families who want to continue that. It's also helped us to see because there are never enough professional learning days in a school year. It has taught us that we can provide instruction for students outside of school so their learning continues to provide teachers and leaders with an opportunity to learn and get better at their craft so that it positively impacts the learning uh, in, in the classroom. We learned that we can do that. Um, and, and we've got to learn from the fact that here we go again, the rising numbers in positive COVID cases. We've got to get out of this political environment. We've got to get out of not believing science and, and medicine and see that we are putting ourselves in danger needlessly. And our children, our, our most precious commodity in danger needlessly that the vaccine is life-saving and that we need to go out and get it so that we can return to life as normal. Um, and so I'm not gonna stand on a soapbox and, and preach, but I believe the vaccine is life-saving. I believe that masks save lives and we've got to do what we can during this time to make sure that we are around for our children and our families and that our children are around for a long time. Yeah, thank you for that message. I think that's really critical. Is there anything you think, Dr. Gadsden, post-COVID, when we really truly get to the other side, that, that the experience has taught us we need to let go? You know, we've had to really shift the way we're serving our students. When right. you think back about the last year, year and a half, couple of years, is there anything you see that it's like, mm, it shows this is not something we should be spending time on anymore. Well, COVID, one of the things I will say is COVID made clear something that we have known uh, forever. And that is that there are wide disparities and inequities in our schools. And we've got to do a better job of addressing them. Uh, COVID has taught us that with the homes that don't have Wi-Fi that we've had to provide hotspots for, kids that did not have hot meals that we've got to provide uh, food for. We're still providing clothing for children, whether they're in school or at home. Uh, and so I wanted to put that out there. It also tells me that in some places, seat time versus quality instructional time is something that we still hold to. We've got to let that go. Mm -hmm. This is about the quality and the impact of instruction, not how long a student sits in a seat. 
I believe in competency learning and if a student can demonstrate that they already have the skill and knowledge, that they should not have to sit through a course, that they should not have to sit through that learning experience. And so we've got to let go uh, this belief that a student has got to sit through this course to get graduation, uh, meet graduation requirements and that course. If they can demonstrate they already have that knowledge, let's give them credit for that so that students are able to move forward. Let's personalize learning more. And when we say we're meeting students where they are, really giving us the autonomy to do just that, personalize the learning for each and every student to give him or her just what they need to be successful and be able to make the choice for college and career and not us making the choice for them based on the quality of learning uh, that they, they received. Uh, but they are able to make that informed decision uh, when it's time. And really focusing on those citizenship skills so that our students understand their civic duty uh, to get out and vote and contribute positively to our community. And I mean, just, just the wonderful things that we can focus on without some of the bureaucracy and restrictions that we, we currently have. Thank you. I love that. And uh, I think good <laughs> advice for all of us, because I do feel that it's kind of um, helped us see the pinch points that maybe yes. have stopped us from being as impactful as we could and making sure students are successful. Thank Most you. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Dr. Gadsden, we always end our interviews with all of our guests with a question that might seem kind of strange, but we, we think it's fun to explore. So if you could travel back in a time machine and talk to a younger you, what advice would you give? It can be any point in your life, but you know, a younger version of Dr. Gadsden, what advice would you give? So what I would give, uh, so I did not uh, plan to be an educator. Um, because educators make so they, they make no money. <laughs> and uh, so I actually uh, went to school and majored in business economics. I just knew that I was going to be this corporate magnet and I was going to make all of the money that I could and be retired by 35. Well, we know that didn't happen. Uh, uh, in my junior year of college, the Dean of the College of Education called me and several other uh, black male students from across the university to a meeting. And in that meeting, he shared with us that there was a need for more black males in education. And we all looked uh, you know, at one another because we were engineering and business majors and computer science and nursing. And uh, we looked at one another and wondered why he was giving us that message. And so, as he gave us this talk, he shared with us that we didn't have to change our majors, but if we picked up secondary education courses, he would pay for our junior and senior year uh, tuition. Wow. And being a business major, I thought that was a great business deal. You know, So I accepted that. And um, after graduating, I signed a contract with Trust Company Bank and uh, was ready to go out and work and my mom got ill. Uh, I needed to go home and we weren't wealthy and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do to support myself while I was home helping and uh, realized that um, that little thing the dean had me to do, get my teaching certification and, you know, it was something I could fall back on. And so 
I started teaching and realized that I loved it and realized that as a teacher and an educational leader, I touch my own future every day. And so I would go back in time and tell myself that it's okay to be a leader. Even if you don't make a lot of money, the rewards for touching the lives of children and the impact that you're going to have on your future is worth it. And so uh, I, I, I would tell myself that it's okay to be an educator. Nice. Inspiring. <laughs> and we appreciate it. We're sorry you don't have, uh, you know, that fancy car in your driveway or beachfront <laughs> home or whatever else was attached to that, you know, millionaire by 35. Yes. But we are so glad that that's the way it worked out for us. And to have you as a leader in our community and supporting our schools and supporting our families and our students. Uh, it, it's a pleasure to have you join us. And, and uh, we're honored. And thank you so much for taking time also to speak with us. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Have a wonderful day. It was nice to meet you, and uh, thank you so much for uh, leading Southwest City School District. And uh, best of you. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.